Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you need more information on the things that we are doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So sometimes on the podcast, we do things that really only interest us, and we hope people are listening and actually like what we're talking about. Other times, we do things that maybe people will like, for sure, and I'm not sure about how people are going to feel about this episode, but this is something that I found interesting, and I wanted us to interact on it a little bit because that's what we do, and we, uh, yeah, right? We have fun with... Let's interact. Interacting on interesting things. So just a, a quick disclaimer and a, a little piece of information to give you here. You need to listen to this entire first argument because what we're going to bring up might trip some people up at first, but we're not asking for that. But I also want to be someone who's aware or let people know that I'm aware or that we're aware of arguments that are out there, things that you know people try to levy against the Jesus claims that I don't think are legitimate, but yet people do it anyway. And so I thought, hey, let's talk about one of these, and then let's see where it goes. Deal? Deal. Deal. So we don't necessarily believe this, but this is something that someone you know, talks about. If you give us a few minutes to kind of unpack the idea, then it, we'll, we'll come back around and say why we think it's wrong. But for now, this is that's the disclaimer. We don't really believe this, but there's something that you might need to be aware of or someone might say to you. At some point, when you're sharing your faith with someone, they might say, well... And so here we go. This is coming from Evan's commentary on Mark chapter 8, all the way through chapter 16. The Gospel of Mark, he did it in two parts. That tells you how much information there is to write about Mark. And he says, according to the genealogies of Jesus found in Matthew, and that's found in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and then Luke, which is found in Luke 3, 23 through 38, Jesus was a descendant of King David. Now, here's the problem. Some have contended that tradition of this descent arose only later in the aftermath of the early church's proclamation of Jesus as Messiah. So in order to herald him as Messiah, the argument goes, you would have to find a way to make him Davidic. And so the Davidic uh, descent argument arises and some have tried to say, okay, they would have never known. And the big reason why they would say that they would have never known is really because Israel itself, as they were exiled at one point and dealt with all of that, they now are back in the land. And there's a really good chance that while they were in Babylon, all of the records were destroyed. They don't really know who's who, how that goes. There's tremendous problems with this argument, but let's just open up the argument itself. So the way the argument goes is there's no way to prove Davidic descent. And so therefore, the early claims about Jesus are just things that the early church fabricated to create a space so that they could say, Jesus was clearly from David, even though there's no way to prove that he was from David. And go. Yeah, I'm skeptical about that take. Okay, that's it, folks. That's <laughs> all. <you> go. <laughs> no, we're but, both very skeptical of the take, but why? Yeah, well, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before. And this is a very skeptical view of scholarship. And I'm not saying that scholars are always wrong or that they're sinister in every regard. However, there is a 
need when you're a scholar to be published, and there are a lot of liberal scholars using that, not like politically liberal, but the way they view scripture saying, you know, we don't believe necessarily in inerrancy and things like that. And so to get published, they write things that haven't been written before, because if you write, hey, this we've known this for thousands of years, and everybody says, yeah, we know. But if you say, hey, I got a hot take on this, I think this didn't really happen, or this wasn't really in there, and I can bring up a bunch of evidence, it's less about whether you're right, but whether you're mm-hmm. unique or new. So a lot of, I'm using air quotes here, modern scholarship uh, and liberal scholarship aims to take apart all these things. You know, it's the same thing with the authorship. And we, we, this is where we, it came up before, like, oh, Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. Paul didn't write the New Testament. All, the, all these books that we thought were Paul are not actually Paul mm-hmm. because, you know, Timothy reads a lot different than Galatians. Well, if I write a, a letter to a large church, to the, not even a singular church, Galatians was clearly written to a group of churches. Yeah, it's a region. Yeah, versus like if I write a personal letter to a friend, like, yeah, they're going to sound a lot different if they're years apart from each other. Also, you know, maybe my vocabulary has changed a little. So anyway, so but then they start nitpicking. They say, oh, you know, look at this. These words are different or the vocabulary is a little different or the tone is a little bit different. It must not be Paul because all Paul's writings. But what's crazy to me is they say, well, we have no we have no record of the genealogies. Well, we have a record. It's right in Scripture. And right. And and the Scripture is one of the best attested books ever uh you know that we're pulling from antiquity but if any other book came out and we had one copy of it 700 years after it was written and we found and that copy was written in you know 300 AD from 400 BC and we found one record they'd be like look at all this great new information they wouldn't they wouldn't look at that and be like ah you know we got to be skeptical about the information in here because like, but here we have scripture and they're like oh you know we're we're not really sure that you know the, the church probably tried to re-read this into Jesus's, into his ministry. So let's add it in there. So I don't know, you're probably catching the tone here. I just, I get a little bit tired of these mm-hmm. arguments that just try to nitpick everything in scripture. And this has only happened in the last, I don't know what, 50 years? Would you say yeah, 50, probably 30? 150. Okay. Really since the 1870s. Oh, really? Because most of what uh, I see is uh, really like, from the 1970s when... I think scholarship had more of a foothold at that point, but the German scholars in 1870 on to the 1920s were world changers in the sense of this type of argument. What we call literal scholarship in in biblical studies really came from that, and a lot of those German scholars were reading Darwin and others and saying, there's something interesting going on in the world, maybe we should dismantle the whole thing from the get-go. What's interesting is in the 1870s and 1880s, there was a lot of discussion about we don't know where the, there's no such thing as the Garden of Eden because the four rivers don't exist, right? The Euphrates and the Tigris, we know where those two are, but the other two don't mm-hmm. exist. And then it took about 100 years, and then we found out, oh, they are there. They're just underneath the sand. You can't right. see them because they're dried up rivers, Because and there's a desert there now. And isn't that crazy? 6,000 years later, the geography and topography of the region has changed. It's shocking. Wow. It's absolutely shocking. Couldn't believe it. There's a tremendous amount of sarcasm coming out of both of our voices there if you're not picking it up on the podcast. So, yeah, I think the point that you're making is great. There, there is We throw out big things like Chronicles, Kings... The genealogies that exist are there, and they've been there in the scripture all the way back to well before Babylon. And then you got to think when the people came back in the land, they were very in tune with who they were from, 
what their family line was. They probably cared about their family line way more than we do at this point, right? Right. So we, but even today, genealogy.com and other, you know, ancestor.com, like these things exist and people are trying to figure out their family tree and trace it back. Well, in the ancient Israelite world, they would have done the same thing. There's also this strange couple of verses in uh, Isaiah 9 that talk about in the land of Galilee, in the land of the Gentiles, there's going to be a great light that's shown. And I know for a fact, due to some of the study that I've done, that Davidic ancestors moved into Galilee waiting for this great light to be shown, this this Davidic character, this Messiah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting then that a lot of the Messianic people who claim to be messiahs and end up not being messiahs all come out of Galilee. So Gamla and and even the Bar Hokba revolt. There's a bunch of these that actually they start in Galilee and they're trying to take on this mantra or this mantra themselves, this mm-hmm. this nomenclature that they are the the person who is the messiah. They're the light from Galilee. Come follow me and we'll go do this. So there's a ton of radicals living in Galilee and all of them claim Davidic descent. And we did an episode already where we talked about uh, the idea that the word Nazareth or Nazareth would be something from the word branch, which might be an Isaiah 11 connection. So there's something about this that they would have known that they had Davidic descent. And and on top of that, we're talking more about an, an a society that was more based on oration than it was on written Stuff. Right. So I can imagine the kids going to bed at night and your grandfather is and your great grandfather is and your great grandfather is this and eventually we get to David and then eventually we get to Moses and then eventually we get to Abram. There's something about the line there that they would have, whoever, whatever branch of the family tree they were from, they would have made a connection to that. Because you also have in the first century, and we'll talk about this a couple of podcasts from now, but in the first century, the, the whole temple system was built on people who had Levitic roots still. How do you have Levitic roots if you can't trace your genealogy? So basically what we're saying, to, this is you know a, a drawn out way to say, we both think this is kind of a dumb argument because there's lots of reasons to say the argument uh, does hold up just because of using scripture itself. Right. <clears throat> right. And we got to remember that this type of thing was more important for people in Jesus' day than in our day, right? Exactly. In our culture... We are an individualistic culture, which is not necessarily worse or better, but we really focus on what what can I do? What what have I accomplished? You know, you get introduced at a speaking function, and they're going to list all your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember um, hearing a speaker who was from India talking about he he was married to an American woman, and she was sitting there listening to his introduction. He's a famous guy getting up to do this this speech and they talked about his father for five minutes they said this man's father did this and did this and did this this man's father led this chaired this accomplished this and today his son is coming to speak to you mm-hmm. and then they and he said his american wife was like they didn't even talk about anything you've done they talked all about your dad and he said that is indian culture like it's right. not about what right. i've done it's where have i come from that's what's most important. He said that in that audience gives me more credibility talking about my father than talking about my own accomplishments. So in our in our American culture today, it's all about your own accomplishments. But right. in other cultures, <clears throat> even today, it's more about the accomplishments of your ancestors. Yeah. So it's not crazy to think that 
people would have known their descendants all the way back to David. Sure. That would not have been like hard for them. No. And especially if they're from that kingly line, we do have multiple genealogical records of those in the Old Testament. Right. And the place where they deviate in Matthew and Luke is pretty late in the game. So it pretty clearly seems to suggest both Mary and Joseph have Davidic roots. And I'm guessing Luke is probably Mary's line. Right. Because it ends with saying, and who people thought Joseph was his father. Right. That suggests to me that we've actually been following Mary's line, and then now we're throwing Joseph in the mix, and then Matthew is clearly pulling Joseph. But Matthew, just to give one little piece of information too, is, and we'll get to this when we get to Matthew as well, there's something interesting going on with that genealogy that he doesn't use all the names that we have in the genealogy. He's doing something. He's working it together in such a way to make it say exactly what he wants it to say, which shows us again, the system is different. The expectations are different. And so the literary style uh, is is fine. We can trust it. But at the same time, there is something being done by the writer to help us notice something or be a part of something. So back to this, when we get to the Davidic lineage idea, there's no reason to believe that that they wouldn't have known. And this is actually what Evans goes on to say in his commentary, and I'll quote him again. This claim that I just read in the very beginning of, of the episode. This claim, however, is dubious. Eusebius reports that Vespasian and Domitian and Trajan persecuted the family of David so that no royal claimant might arise and challenge the authority of Rome. How would they do that if people didn't claim to be from the family of David? We also have a, an ossuary in the first century B.C., that says from the house of David that they found in Jerusalem. So that that's a you know basically a burial box. And if that has the name on it of David, there's clearly someone knows that they came from that level of ancestry. And then he goes on to again mention that there's multiple genealogies and other things in the Old Testament that tell us this is what's going on. But I thought it'd be interesting for us just to throw it out there, let people know, yes, we're aware that those arguments exist. They're terrible, but we're aware that they exist. We don't, we don't discount them outright just saying, well, that's a terrible theory. We look into them a little bit when we're doing sermon prep and other things, and then we realize, no, this is a dumb idea, so let's just move on from it and do something that's actually worth our time. Yep. Okay. That's a fair way to start, <clears throat> but again, that was the disclaimer. We, we don't necessarily agree with it, but there's this claim that's being levied out there. And it started probably pretty early because if Jesus is the most important human that ever lived, why would you not try to find ways to pull down the wall, so to speak, around right. his his claim. And if you can find one area that pulls it down, so Bart Ehrman and others are doing this right now with his words. The disciples didn't really put his words down. They're putting down the versions of his, what he actually said. So we got to find the real historical Jesus. And I'm going, that's a ridiculous. It's a ridic- ridiculous concept that you're never going to be able to do in the way that you're looking for it. At the same time, we can trust these men to have actually listened to what Jesus said and trust that he was telling what needs to be. And we also, we believe that the Holy Spirit's involved in this whole process. Right. So it, right. really do- it really doesn't matter if a human agrees with it or not. I-, I-, I trust the Holy Spirit to have brought what we are supposed to have to the fore. Yep. And I think that's a really important distinction to throw out there as well. Okay, just a quick little fun one. Uh, we talk about Bartimaeus, this, this man, his name just means son of Timaeus. And then, like I mentioned in the sermon, no one knows who really Timaeus is, so that's fun. So you, mm. you're a guy who 
chooses to take your dad's name, even though your dad has no value whatsoever. So back to your, your Indian guy that you just mentioned, right? If that guy took his father's name, that would be tremendously important and very, very valuable. Right. Uh, if your dad has no value to the society at all and you take his name, you were pretty low on the totem pole. Right. Right. Yeah. And we see many other people in scripture named Bar something. And in our English reading, we sometimes we can miss like Barnabas. Right. Right. Son of encouragement. Right. And so is that a title that's given to him? Right. Or is that really like if somebody saw him, would they say, oh, hey, Barnabas, or would his friends call him Barnabas? Or would was that just a title given to him? Like, right. hey, you guys all know Barnabas, right? Like, yeah, from right. the stage, we're referring to this guy. But, or was his name Mike, but yeah. he went by Barnabas. Right, right. You know, I mean, in high school, I went by Stuke for a long time. Yeah, or I mean, even even <laughs> us, like... <laughs> You're like, that has no value. What's yeah. We're just going to slide <laughs> over top of that real quick. But I mean, even like I, uh, you know, my my name is a little bit rhymy, Alex Eunice. Like it just, yeah. it's sometimes it's weird on over the phone. And so often... I refer to myself as Alex. All my friends call me Alex. Everybody I know calls me Alex. But on the phone, I always say, this is Pastor Alex, because that's just easier to be understood over the phone. Um, and then people, you know, all the time I'm like, hey, this is Alex Eunice. And they're like, who? I'm like, Pastor Alex. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Pastor Alex. <laughs> uh, so in a similar way, like, that's a title. Yeah. And But people don't often call me that. But if you're on stage and you want to sound a little more formal or say, hey, Pastor Alex, and everyone's like, oh, yeah. But then, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 300 years, 800, 1,000 years from now, if, if the Lord hasn't returned yet, and my name is written Pastor Alex, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's Pastor Alex. I'm going to name my son after him, Pastor Alex. Like, no. That's, yeah. But I mean, it's fine. If, you're, yeah. if your name is Barnabas out there, you get a great name. I'm Mike not. Pastor Alex. Yeah. I think that's a great name. Or Pastor Alex, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Thompson. Well, but we, you know, the free church has Swedish roots, and this is a very common thing in in Swedish yep. uh, culture, right? You have Eric the Red, who is a great Viking warrior, and then his son is named Ericsson, yeah, right. And then Ericsson becomes sort of the the surname that attaches to the whole family all the way down the line. So if your name is Thompson or Wilson or something like that, there's a really good chance that long time ago somebody great had a son. And they named that son Wilson, and then they gave the person a first name at some point. Oh, is that Leif Erikson? Yeah, I didn't realize that that was his son. Oh yeah. Oh no way. Leif Erikson, the you, great yeah, Viking think, warrior. Yeah, I think you're supposed to say Leif, right? Yeah, Leif Erikson. Leif. Oh, I. I mean, I obviously I've not we, obviously we I've know. heard of these guys before. I just didn't realize that. Yeah. That that was a father son thing. Yeah. So oh. the same thing with Barnabas. I learned some new things today. There you go. I was today or, years old. Or Barabbas is another yeah. one, right? We've yeah. got a ton of these. And and then you've got a couple other characters in the Bible that have unique names that begin with Ben. And that's a very similar, it's more of the, I think it's, if, if I'm correct here, it's the more Aramaic expression. Instead of Bar, it's Ben. So like when we land in Israel in a couple of months when we go, uh, it's going to be the Ben Gurion Airport because yeah. that guy's last name is Ben, son of Gurion. So you know his first name is whatever, but his last name is Ben Gurion. So now you have the Ben Gurion Airport. So this is a common thing that happens in most cultures. Uh, you know, Stukenberg doesn't have that type of of ring. Yeah. Well, and you also mentioned the bar mitzvah. Yeah. And mitzvah is just the word commandment. And so when somebody is bar mitzvah, they become a son of the command, a descendant right. of the command. So you see there, um, that's 
that's the idea of a bar mitzvah. You are becoming a child of the commandment, which means you are an adult, right? The right. child of the commandment is someone who is an adult. And so you're a true Israelite at that moment. Yeah. So that's that's where that comes from. You yeah. know, you've seen that term there, the bar mitzvah or the, the bat mitzvah. Yeah. For for the ladies. Which also is a little bit of where the age of accountability thing comes from. I don't know if people are aware of this, but there's a lot of discussion in theology about, you know, what happens to a child who doesn't know right from wrong and they don't make it, you know, where where do they go? And so Part of that comes from the bar mitzvah concept of at the age of 13, you are now officially on the hook for the sins that you've actually committed. And so mm-hmm. there's some Jewish circles that actually tell your, you know, get, get it out of the way before you're 13, because <laughs> once you're 13, you're on the hook, uh, which doesn't seem fair or right, but it is yeah. what it is. So this idea, yeah, bar or, or bot means you've now moved to the place where you are a son or a daughter of, of blank. Uh, and so you'll see names like this throughout the scriptures. If you see a lady with the name Bot something, uh, there's a good chance that she, her, that's not really her name. And I think the interesting thing to talk about that you brought up is sometimes we know that this probably isn't even their real name. It's possible mm-hmm. Barnabas was an encourager, and so eventually he gets the son of encouragement title attached to him. And it very possibly could just be what he went by, but right. it's not even his real name. In a similar way, Saul and Paul he never really changes his name. I think so many of us think that he has this great experience, and after that he's always Paul. If you read the scriptures closely, especially in the book of Acts, when he's in a Jewish court, he is still Saul of Tarsus. When he's in a Gentile court, he's Paul. And Paulos would be his Roman name. And so he would use that in the places that it valued him, but he wouldn't use Saul in in a Gentile court, just like he wouldn't use Paulos in a Hebrew court. So he didn't have this great name change moment. It was him just saying, no, I'm going to go by this name in this circle and this name in this circle, and that's important. So again, we don't necessarily think about it that way today, but it might be helpful for us to do so. So we thought we'd bring it up. Yep. All right, last thing for this episode. I I just thought it'd be an interesting thing. Uh, When I think about Bartimaeus, this blind man who comes to Jesus and decides to start following him, one of the thought experience, experiments I had, and I mentioned this in first service, and I kind of I, I breezed over it in second and didn't come back to it. I don't know if you have this when you're preaching, but there's moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come back to that, and then I, I never come back to yeah. it, and then I'm driving home, and I'm like, oh, man, that was oh, a Oh, man, that's like every sermon. I'm like, okay. oh, I can't believe I forgot <laughs> to mention this. So here, and especially when I get on a roll and I'm not looking down at my notes at all, I just breeze over a thing or two, and it's a bummer. So I'm going to bring it up here. I I point out that I think it's interesting that Bartimaeus starts to follow Jesus, and he starts to follow Jesus really in Jesus's last week and a half or two weeks of his life, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting thing to consider. And then I want to just do a quick thought experiment with you. How interesting would it be for Bartimaeus to maybe a week after the resurrection to look back at the last couple of weeks and look at his other disciple friends and go... Is it always like this? You know, is this, this is crazy. Whoa, yeah. And, and a guy who can't see now is seeing everything and experiencing everything. And he gets a front row seat to some of the most charged, amazing moments in all of human history, right? A, a guy like me wants to go back in time to those days and just watch it and experience it. And I'm not going to get the chance to do that. And Bartimaeus receives his sight in Jericho, walks up with Jesus to Jerusalem, and then the rest of of the showdown of that week likely happens. So what I said in first service that I didn't say in second is, imagine being Bartimaeus 
over the next few weeks as we unpack chapters 11 through 16. And imagine from his perspective, him finally being able to see and him watching all of this go down, whether it's the, the fig tree withering or, or even the crucifixion. Was he there? Was he, did he not scatter with the 12 because he wasn't even knowing what he was committing to? He's just watching this guy die thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do with that? Yeah. So the idea, just think, think about it with me, being a week after the resurrection, perhaps looking back in the last few weeks, there's a lot of stuff going on there, and you'd probably be pretty amazed that you got a chance to be in the front row seats for this experience. Well, yeah, and just, you know, imagine Jesus' other disciples, some of them that are with him have been with, with him the whole time, the three years of his ministry, and have seen ups and downs. They've seen great things, amazing things. They've even seen some persecution. And then, like, this guy is just a, a late, addition to the game like he just jumped on the team mm-hmm. you know it's it's almost like i've always kind of thought this about sports like you know a guy gets traded from a bad team to a really good team to help them win the championship and he plays for them for less than half the season and then they make it to the world series or whatever and win the world series in there and and then they get the ring and you're you know that was justin verlander that one year right and you're like Man, that guy's hardly on that team, but he's like <laughs> celebrating in the locker room with them because right. he because he played two months. What you know? When it, isn't the baseball trade trade deadline at the end of July? Usually end of July. Yeah, it's end of July. So, so you, you play, play August, September, and then you get to and then you get to have glory in October, perhaps. Right. So imagine going from the Tigers. That was to the, that was a Raldis Chapman. Yeah. Yeah. For the Cubs. I mean, yeah. He yeah. Just shows up and yeah. So anyway, yeah. So it's just it's just interesting to see like, wow, this guy went from like being blind. And now all of a sudden he's he's right in the mix of everything and he's just trying to figure things out. And, and, and then all of a sudden, like, the guy who healed him is dead and then he's not dead. And you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> he, so I think sometimes we just, we, we get so used to all the stories, we forget that there's a timeline to the stories. Totally. And that they're real people in real time. Yeah. And that, that people figure things out. Yeah. Again, over time, over the course of time. Whereas, yeah. We can kind of see Jesus' whole life as one package because we hear all the stories in Sunday school. We grew up, oh, yeah, there's this story and this story and this story, and we see the whole thing, whereas, Mm -hmm. like, this was being revealed over time, and there's a moment when people didn't quite realize all this. You know, I don't know. It's it's cool. It's cool. Well, it's one of the reasons why I like The Chosen, even though there's there's always issues with any time you try to make a show like that. Uh, So, you know, we're all – we're not – all saying it's perfect in every possible way. I don't think it's possible to make a show that's perfect in every way because also my opinions aren't always right, right? Yeah. So even the things I would like to see done aren't necessarily totally agreed upon in scholarship. So you've got this idea, though, of watching Jesus walk and his disciples start to understand it little by little as they go. So I want to imagine Bartimaeus, you know, waking up on the Tuesday before the, you know, yeah. he he wakes up in Bethany and they're all stretching out, getting ready to go. And Jesus is like, all right, we're rolling. What? What? We're going? And yeah, yeah, we're going back into Jerusalem. They don't like us there. Yes. They, yeah, they do. It's fine. It's Everything's going to be fine. And they walk in on the way. He curses the fig tree, you know, and you go, yeah. oh, my goodness, what is that all about? And then, the, you know, the next day or the day after Jesus walks back in and explains why the fig tree is dead. Just little things like that that I think would be so fun to be a part of and I get so jealous of the disciples that they get to see it front row seat and then I go I'm even more jealous of a guy like Bartimaeus who sort of just stumbles into it right he's on the side of the road yelling son of David have mercy on me and then immediately he gets to come in and be a part of all of this it's really cool yeah and I just imagine him like what uh like is he talking to the other disciples and he's like 
what are we doing now, guys? And they're, or what, where are we going? This is, this is crazy. And they're just like, hey, dude, this this is like every day with us. So just just calm down. Yeah, sign up, buddy. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. Things get wild. Yeah, so I think the the biggest thing to think about is just that thought experiment. Join us in that over the next couple of months as we we dive into the end of the book of Mark. And just imagine being a disciple who's seeing things that they don't fully comprehend, or then even one step further, think of a guy like Bartimaeus who is clearly jumping in at the very end and he's experiencing all these things firsthand, but within a couple of weeks he has everything thrown at him. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Crazy. Crazy.